everybody. Welcome to a new and exciting episode of Dropping the Gloves. Tim is here. As usual, I'm here. Thank goodness. And it is a good day today, Tim. How are you doing? I'm great. What a night it was last night in the world of hockey. I was I couldn't sleep. My my mind was going a thousand miles an hour. It was awesome. Well, why why was it good for you? Because I know why it was good for me. Why was it because the Bruins and the Tampa Bay Lightning played a great game? What was it so great, Tim? They did. Uh, the Bruins lost, so that was disappointing. And But there was a lot of fights last night, including many friends of the show with the fisticuffs last night. The list just kept getting longer and longer, and so it was a lot of fun to, to watch that unfold. It was... Well, it started with... It started with Kirby Doc. That's the first one that I saw. And then you said, hey, check out the wild game. Wild Philadelphia Flyers. And it was it was an old school type atmosphere in Philadelphia and Minnesota. It was just fight after fight, after fight, after fight. By the end of the day, I checked the box score. There'd only been 20 penalty minutes per team, four fights. Like, this is amazing. This never happens anymore. And of those four, there's a couple of good fights. A couple of friends of the show, like you mentioned, Marcus Foligno, Ryan Reeves, heavyweights going at it, Tim. And it played in perfectly to our podcast that we wanted to do about the top five fighters in the league. So it just meshed well. And you know how we work. We just try to mesh everything together. So I want to break down these, first of all, these games. Why was there so much animosity? During the game, I'm seeing these fights. I texted Revo because he's a good friend of mine. And I call him Revo and Moose, another close friend of mine, Marcus Foligno. You can't call him that, Tim. You don't know him. You call him Mr. Reeves and Mr. Foligno. I call him Reeve, Revo and Moose. I texted them. I said, who took a number one in your cornflakes this morning? A potty. I, I use another word, but it's a family family show. Tim. I said, what's going on, you guys? Why are you so upset? And they both texted me back right after the game because that's the kind of friends we are. And they're like, I loved it. Love that stuff. Isn't it great, John? Fantastic. How you doing? How's the family? And I didn't respond because that's the power move I play. I don't respond. <laughs> of course. <laughs> And then I, I had to text Kirby Doc, another friend of the show. I said, hey, did first of all, Kirby Doc, I thought Andrew Kopp was tough. Didn't you? The way he plays the game, he's he's a physical type player. He gets in on the forecheck. Didn't you expect him to be tougher? Tim, when, when I saw those two fought, just the box score, I was like, oh, no. Oh, no, that's not going to be good for Kerbster. And then... I watched a fight and, and it was just an absolute train wreck by Kirby Doc. Just rolls over Andrew Cop. Then I go in and I go, that was Andrew Cop's first NHL fight. Was it? The guy's, really? The guy's, the guy's has never, never been in a fight his whole NHL career, which has spanned got to be a decade by this point. Don't you think? Got to be a decade. This guy's from Ann Arbor, Michigan. He's 6'1, 210 pounds. He throws his weight around. It's not like he just is trying to miss guys on the ice. He, he's, He's a physical force out there. You think he might have grabbed somebody in a scrum and the ref just gives him five. First NHL fight. Kirby Doc fights this guy right off the faceoff. Start of the second period. Sets the tone. Game's tied 1-1. Detroit needs to win this game to stay in contention. They didn't win it. Or no. Montreal needs to win this game. Detroit ended up winning. Kirby Doc sets the tone. What did you think of this fight? I want to talk about this one first because I, I, I was blown away by this. Yeah, centerized, love that. Right up the opening draw of the second, like you said. And and there was a, something that happened in the first period, like a little bit of like a, a scrum, and, and they didn't, nothing happened, nothing came from it. But there, there was a conversation, and then 
right off the draw. And Kirby just got him with a good one early. And you could see that, like, Cop, I would have thought that he had fought before. At least he was a strong, scrappy guy. He's been playing that role for nine seasons now. And I would have thought it would have been, like, if those two guys fought, Kirby would get a nice, like, hey, welcome to fighting in the NHL moment. Like, I don't care how big you are. You haven't done this yet, and I'm going to beat you up. And Kirby, he got him good. He pigeon tossed him. I think he even surprised himself. He kept very simple, stood up tall, straight punches, kept his arms stiff, and just got him with one early. And I think he just, I think he surprised himself. I don't know if he's fought before ever. He fought Blake Coleman last year, who is a, a very, very, very tough customer. I think Blake Coleman hit somebody, or maybe he kicked Kirby Dopka. I can't remember the circumstance, but it was a in the heat of the battle type fight. But this fight, Kirby. Asked this guy to go. I'm like, you want to cross check me on the face up circle? And cop didn't want to fight, but they fought. And it was just a fantastic showing by Kirby Doc. And we we don't talk about fights enough in this show because there's a lot going on. But I love, I love it when a guy uses his length, uses his strength, strings a guy out. And the thing they love the most about Kirby Doc, and this is what I texted Kirby last night, or as I like to call him, Mach 3. That's the nickname I made up for Kirby Doc just right now. So I said, Mach 3, you stood tall, my friend, and you kept your eyes on the prize. That's the biggest thing about fighting these days. You watch these fights. The guys always cock their heads to the side so they can't see anything. Go watch this Kirby Doc fight. His head doesn't move. Maybe not great for defense. Fantastic for offense. Tim, he just looks straight down the pipe at, at uh, Andrew Kopp, and he just fed him his lunch. It was so It was up. Uh, it was fantastic. I couldn't have done it better myself. And cop was just flailing everywhere, like Gumby, like a like a Bambi on ice. He's just all over the place. And Kirby Doc's just like walking his dog. He's got him by the leash and he's just beating him. It was so fantastic for Kirby Doc. He almost had the Gordie Hall hat trick. He got an assist. Same with Moose, Marcus Foligno, Mr. Foligno to you. He had an assist as well. But it was just, I loved it. I absolutely love this fight. So very, very good. Anything else you want to touch on on this this uh, game, Tim? Oh, I just uh, I just love how well he's playing this year. And we, I, we talked about it before that whole tweet from uh, the the comment from Marty Saint Louis. You don't give up on a twenty year underworld. You give him a little bit more patience. And look at what he's done: thirty two points so far this year, forty nine games. It's not like he's incredible, but after what he's done so far in his career, this is a major step forward. Two goals the other night against the Bruins too. He's kept them in that game. And it's the confidence. Like he's playing with top line. He's getting good minutes. He's fighting. He's scoring. Like this is what you want to see from a 21 year old kid who's developing his game, growing into his body. This is a major step forward. And I just love, I'm very happy for him. 22 now. He's 22. At what point do you take the C away from Suzuki? (laughs) Suzuki's just not that tall. He really isn't. Well, Tim, it's more than height for me, but that's a main factor. When I look at this Canadian team, yes, Suzuki is a very skilled player. Does he end up being my first line center? Is he a guy who I can just build my team around? I don't know. I, I don't I don't see it yet. Yes, he's a gifted offensive player. I would slot him in and just let him rip around the ice. Good. I look at a guy like Kirby Doc, the intangibles that he brings. And now he's building his offensive side to go with all these other intangibles. The guy's got 32 points in 49 games. He's probably going to end up around the 50-point mark. Doubles his previous high. He's only getting better. He's going to end up being, at the end of the end of the day, a Ryan Getzlaff type player. 
He's going to be tough. He's going to be hard to take off the puck. He's just going to be a moose out there. And he's going to be impossible to just get around. That's the type of player that he's going to end up being. He's still gaining weight. He's 6'4". He's only 212 pounds. Getzlaff, when he was at his best, was probably around 225. I see Kirby Doc being that type of player. That's your captain. That's your guy you want to go into battle with. That's your 1A centerman. So, I don't It's It's not a terrible thing. But I tell you what, if if they could have a do-over, Kirby Doc is my is my captain. He's my one A centerman. And the crazy thing is, this guy's only signed for three point three six two million dollars for the next three years after this one. That's a steal, Tim. Absolute steal. It wouldn't surprise me if he's putting up seventy five eighty points next year. It's just. Even if he doesn't, he's worth more than that money right now with the production and like what he's doing when he's scoring, the fighting, the the greediness. Now he's rounding out his game. He's worth more than $3 million, I think. If he puts up 50 points and does all these other things, he was killing penalties the other night against the Bruins. Like he's he's a good uh, – got to get him back on the show. Friend of the show. The, the Canadians really are dealing with quite the, quite the injury kind of – group they have there. Cole Caulfield's out. Jonathan Duran. I don't know what's going on with him. Slavkovsky, he's done. Monahan's out. Jake Evans is out. Who else is out? Gallagher. He's out. Joel Armia. They're, they're just everybody's injured. That Not team that has been would. that way for years. Going back years. to Weber, like Price. The, yeah. Speaking of Price, did you see Pacioretty. Did you see uh, Patrick Roy? His comments. He, he gave an interview the other day. And he said something to the effect of my last year, I was injured. I knew I wasn't going to be able to play. So instead of sitting on the LTIR and collecting a paycheck, I just retired because I didn't want to handcuff the team any more than I should. And I just retired. I didn't want to take free money. Many people are saying that's a shot across the bow for Carey Price, who's been sitting on LTIR for years now, just collecting a paycheck and not doing anything. Coming from a Montreal Hall of Famer, giving the interview in Montreal. Montreal's going through the exact same situation with Carey Price. Any uh, thoughts on that? Or is it just noise that we shouldn't even bring up? Uh, well, there has to be something to that because I I haven't heard this, actually. I, I didn't know that. I don't know the context of when he said it or who he said it to. Carey Price has made more than $100 million. His estimated career earnings, 105. That's not counting whatever like brand deals he's gotten. He made a lot of money. Um, and if it had come from anyone but Patrick Y, I might be like, well, whatever. But he would know, wouldn't he? So you, so here, let's let's just check your moral high level. Where's your watermark at? Carey Price is due to make $10.5 million yeah. until 2025, 26. So that's three more years. That's $31.5 million. Are you just going to be the bigger man and go, you know what, you guys? I'm going to retire. You keep your $31.5 million. That's fine. I don't need it. Because so, to me, I'm like, Patrick Waugh, beat it, nerd. Like, go away. This doesn't count against the cap. This is some insurance company paying this contract. This isn't even the Montreal Canadiens. The players get insurance out on them. The, the team ha- pays exorbitant amounts of insurance for this reason. Uh, if I'm Carey Price, I, I'm doing an interview. I'm saying, go go away. No one cares about your opinion. Roy, like go away. I don't know. What would you say? 
No, it's a good point because if he was like healthy and not performing and just hurting his team by being out there and they can't bury him, he's not injured, they don't know what to do, and he's like, okay, I'm actually hurting the team right now, the team on the ice, then maybe you retire. But like you said, yeah, like him being on the LTIR has no implications for the cap, no implications for how the team gets managed or what money other guys make. So maybe not no, but very little. And so, yeah, you're probably right. I think you take the money and say, I mean, the corporation, they don't need it. They don't need He's not no. taking anything away from anyone that matters. No. And then Patty Roy, who during a game, he stopped saying Roy walked by his coach and went to the GM and said, I'll never put this Jersey on again. So is this the guy we're going to, you know, take our moral cues from all of a sudden? Oh, it's too bad. I would never do. Not me. Never me. Patrick Raw. No. It's like, buddy, you quit on the team during a game. Like you, you said you were never going to play again in this jersey during a game. So let's just pump the brakes here, Pat. Okay. Like I, I know you're one of the best goaltenders ever, but Glass houses, my friend. Glass houses. So moving on. The Minnesota Philadelphia game. Are these the two toughest teams in the NHL, Tim? There's some other teams around the league that are tough. You got the Nashville Predators of the world. You got these Montreal Canadiens who could throw out a pretty tough team of their own. But as a whole, the Calgary Flames have some toughness. These two teams, in my eyes, top to bottom, Toughest teams in the league, don't you think? Minnesota, you got Reeves, you got Feligno, you got Ryan Hartman, you got Middleton on the back end. Matt Dumba can throw him. There's a lot of tough characters on this team. And then in Philadelphia, you ju- you got the two juggernauts in Delorier and McEwen. And I'm sure there's guys in the back end who round out. I can't think of any right now. But in my eyes, these are the two toughest teams in the NHL, don't you think? I hadn't thought about it, but yeah, you're probably right. I don't think any other team... They might have one of these guys at most. Um, yeah, you're, I think certainly the Flyers and probably Minnesota too. Well, let's just break down these fights because we got two friends of the shows. Who wins these fights? You got Nick Delorier and Ryan Reeves. Arguably one, two in the league. We'll get into that in a little bit. Was it a good fight? Was it a bad fight? Was it one of these fights like I talk about all the time where it's just a bunch of swinging, hitting air, nothing connecting? What did you think of these fights? Was it just a much to do about nothing? Well, this is this is like the title card, right? This is the the big fight of the night, the two heavyweights. And I think they both went into it wanting it. Like I, I think they both earnestly wanted it to be a legit fight. But it seemed like, and I'm not an analyst like you are, I'm not an expert with fighting, but as I watched it a couple of times, it seemed like neither of them were really able to get the positioning they wanted on the other guy in terms of like where their arms are and 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 the jersey grabbing and all that. And so when neither of them in the first 10 so seconds can able to get that positioning they wanted. They both sort of played it safe and protected themselves because they know what the other one's capable of. And so I think if one of them had latched on the way that he was hoping to, we would have thought a different fight. But they both played really good defense in the beginning, so we didn't really see too much come out of it. Is that that fair to say? I agree. And this is the problem with the long square off. You know what I mean? Where you just kind of stare at each other for 10, 15, 20 seconds. The longer it goes, I always find the worse the fight is. And it happens a lot with the Ryan Reeves fights for whatever reason. He likes to set himself. He likes to get his feet set. And then he just waits. And a guy will dive in because he's scared and, and grab Ryan's shoulder. And then he has a terrible grip. And then Ryan gets a terrible grip. And then they're swinging at air. And there was a couple slight glances, but it wasn't a, 
and here's me. I'm I'm just talking like I'm just throwing shade at Patrick Waugh about like making fun <laughs> of Carey Price. And I here I come right to right down right after him. There's very few entertaining fighters anymore. To the point where nobody gets hit. There's no flush connections. And now when someone does get a flush connection, it's like, oh, stop the presses. That was amazing. You know what I mean? So in this fight, I feel like they each threw 15 to 20 punches. Maybe two landed. Maybe, Tim. Two and a half. It looks great because they're swinging. They're throwing haymakers. They're doing the big windmill punches because they're they're grabbing each other and spinning. It it like go slow it down. They do a slow mo. Go to hockeyfights.com and watch it. Nothing really lands. They're each grabbing, they're each throwing, Revo's throwing, their hair's flying everywhere. Everybody's, you know, into it. Nothing, nothing lands. And I think that's just the norm these days where they try to make it look sexy. They try to like make it look exciting. They try to put on a show for the fans because the people watching don't know if it's landing or not. You see the punch. It goes into the shoulder pad ear area and you're like, Oh, everybody, Jack Edwards, it. Oh, he's under and over, over and under. It's fantastic. Nothing lands. These guys go to the box, take a swig of water, nothing on their face at all. Their hand might be hurting because they hit a helmet. That's a good point when we talk about the Clifton uh, Corey Perry fight uh, in a few minutes because that exact that exact thing happened. But yeah, you're right. They both sort of played it safe uh, once they once they settled in and didn't get what the, the grip they wanted to start. Which is why I think you were so excited about the Lucic fight last week. And I, I know he wasn't fighting a heavy, but like two guys actually squaring up, getting their punches in, locked on the eyes on the target. Like you said, it's just he doesn't he doesn't dance like a lot of the guys want to dance now. I tell you what, I I, I don't want to undersell Matthew Olivier. This guy is a is a heavyweight. He fights everybody and anyone he anybody and he gives up size. When you look at his fight card, he doesn't say no. He's fought Delorier, he's fought McDermott, he's fought Lucic, he's fought everybody. This guy is a gamer. So I, I wouldn't just shortchange him and say he's not a heavyweight. This guy is an equal opportunist. He fights everybody. He beats up the middleweights who are his size and he hangs in there with the heavyweights. So I like this guy. From Quebec, too. Very, very rare where you see a really... I don't want to say that. Donald Brashear, <laughs> very tough. And Mark, uh, friend of the show, what's his name? Uh, George LaRock. Very, 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 very tough players. But yeah, that's why I love the Lucic fight. That's why everybody loved the Lucic fight. Because it was just to harken back to older days where it's just like, let's just grab on and punch each other in the face. Like, that's why I loved fighting Matt Karkner. That's why I loved fighting Fraser McLaren. Those guys would just rip... I remember the first time where I, because I would always be scared, right, going into fights, and I would use my length to, to just hide a little bit, or not hide, just to, I, I wouldn't get hit. McLaren was one of the few guys who had long enough arms to where I locked out, he could still reach me, and so he was the first guy where I had to do like a gut check. And Mitch Fritz, I fought him in the AHL. That guy was a, oh yeah, behemoth. Luckily, I cut him for kind of stitches above his brow when the refs jumped in because he was huge. But anyways. Frazier was the first time where I had to have like a little gut check where I'm like, this guy's hitting me and I turn my head and he's still hitting me. And I had an internal thought process and this is happening during the fight. This all happens in the first 10, 15 seconds of the fight. I'm like, you can either go down or you can just come back straight down the pipe and let's go see how tough you are. And gut check time is fight or flight. And I was like, screw it. Let's go. 
And I stood up and I went right down the pipe and we went back and forth. One, two, three, both of us. And I finally connected with one really good one. And he like stumbled back. That's when he ripped my Jersey. It was in Buffalo, I think. And I was all jacked up after that. Everyone's like, why is John so jacked up? It's because I like faced my fear kind of, and it's, I'm getting deep and, you know, I love it. Whatever, yeah. Philosophical, but I, I could have just backed off and said, you know what? Take the easy way out. Just give a little couple Jersey jabs. And I was like, screw it. Let's go. Let's see how tough you are, big boy. And I, and I was talking to myself, let's see where you, you know, stack up with this guy. And I came out on top and everybody was giving me a hard time. Like, why are you cheering? Why are you cheering? You could have killed him. First of all, he asked me to stop punching because he kept screaming, my jersey's ripped, my jersey's ripped. Scotty, my jersey's ripped, like meaning stop fighting. And then the ref was yelling at me to stop too. So I stopped and that's why I was so jacked up because the guy tapped out, the ref was telling me to stop and I just like lost it. I'm like, yeah, let's go. Cause, and then secondly, I was like, you kind of faced your fear and you overcame it. And you just went right down the pipe because a lot of people don't do that. And I was like, good, good. Like you can do this. And uh, I don't know. And that's why I love this Olivier Lucic fight because they both did that. Like, let's go. Let's see who's tough. Let's go. And that's, that's the difference between this generation today and like 20 years ago. Everybody would just go and fight him. Everybody. Dave Brown, Knuckles Nylon, all of these guys, Probert, Grimson, nobody played defense. It was just pedal to the metal. I want to see if I'm tougher than you. Let's just punch. Let's go. PJ Stock, friend of the show, similar type fighter. And it was just pistons going back and forth. Who's tougher, me or you? And and that, I don't know. And you don't see that anymore. And when you see a fight like we saw on January 23rd, 2023, it was a beautiful thing. You you won't see another fight like that the rest of the year. So that, I don't know. That's just putting a bow on that that that's why that was just a, such a beautiful fight for me because it brought up all these good memories of myself in my old days and anyways moving on tim and i were discussing unless you want to touch on it at all tim uh well the felino McEwen fight you want to talk about that one at all um the moose it surprised me McEwen's a pretty tough character marcus handled him easily he was he was stronger he was more composed and McEwen just is a wild man he reminds me of a zach Stortini. We're just like hair everywhere, flying everywhere, throwing these wild punches. Hopefully one of them lands. And if they don't, then he's just like a mess. He's like the perfect flyer. Mess. He is. Perfect he's flyer. Perfect flyer. Jay Rosa was the same way. Jay was a tough character. I don't, I don't want to lump Jay Rosa in with Zach McEwen because Jay Rosa, another tough cat who, if he was playing in the NHL today, hands down, be beat the doors off of all these guys. You remember Jay Rosa? The guy was tough. I was... That was the one that the biz fought that you guys broke down together a couple of years ago. That was a good fight. Yeah. No, Rosie was a tough, tough cat. Anyways, Tim and I were talking about the top fighters in the league. Who are they? What are their names? Why are they the top fighters? And we each made a list, much like our shows. I haven't seen Tim's. Tim's hasn't seen mine because we don't want to. We don't want to share our secrets and make people think we're collaborating. We could have the same. What are you shaking your head for? I didn't make a list. Why not? I thought we we're doing top five. I want to hear your top five. You're the you're the you're the expert. Oh, you didn't this, make a list? No, this is John Scott's top five fighters in the league. I'm I'm oh, along no. for the ride. I thought you were you were going to make a list. All right, here's my <laughs> top five, and, and and this is an interesting thing. And and correct me if I'm wrong, listeners, but what makes a good fighter? Because when I was going, when I was playing, everyone's like, oh, Zidane Chara, you know, uh, George Larocque. 
those guys never really connected on punches. And I, and I told Georgie this to his face. I'm like, George, you fought all the time. You didn't really connect with guys. And he's like, yeah, I know I was too strong. I would just throw a couple punches and they would go down. He's like, I didn't want him to go down, but they did. So to me, that's not a good fighter. No offense. Georgie is probably one of the toughest guys who ever laced him up. But I'm taking Steve McIntyre over George LaRock any day because you watch a Steve McIntyre fight. There's bones getting broken every single one of his fights. The guy is connecting with soft tissue every single fight. Like he doesn't miss and he gets punched a lot. If you want to watch an enjoyable fighter, just go, go spend a day and watch Steve McIntyre fights. You're welcome. That's it. The guy was an absolute, just an assassin. So anyways, that's my criteria. I want a fighter who is effective, who was actually connecting with punches and who is enjoyable to watch. So to my, in my eyes, that rules out a lot of fighters these days. People might not like this. People might think he's the number one guy in the league. People might think this and that. He is a friend of the show. People think Revo was number one. I don't think he's number one. He's up there. He's a feared fighter. When is the last time, Tim, you saw Ryan Reeves absolutely just paced somebody with a punch? I'm thinking about that, that uh, AHLer with Ottawa who's been up and down. Sabarin? Yeah, that was a pretty good fight, wasn't it? That was probably mm-hmm. two years ago. I think he yeah. got him good there. Yeah, that's why he probably is the toughest, but he's not my number one. A guy who is my number one right now, and it's tough because I go back and forth this year. Like you talk about a McEwen, I don't think so. There's a Curtis McDermott who's a moose. I'm just stuck on that moose word this this because of Marcus. I got to stop saying it. He's the biggest cat in the game right now. Curtis McDermott, 6'6", probably 6'7", 240 pounds. Again, I went back and watched a bunch of his fights. Not great technique. Not not very, he doesn't stand tall like a Kirby Doc of the world. He doesn't use his height to his advantage. A lot of time he, he crouches down. And I'm like, what are you doing? And then his punches are, are mostly looping over the top. And it's just a lot of air he's hitting. And when he does connect, it's to the back of the guy's heads, shoulders, and he pushes him down and the fight's over. To me, it's not, it's not enjoyable. It's not fun to watch these fights. They're not very effective. I don't know. So he's not my number one. And I know his trainer, friend of the show. He was on the show a while ago. He's not my number one. He's in there, but he's not my number one. My number one right now. And I went back and Wait, forth. You should, what? We, should, we should go five to one, maybe. Oh, five sure. to one? Yeah. Okay. All right. And this is all weight classes. I I am grouping everybody in all weight classes for the toughest pound for pound player. My number five right now is Nathan Beaulieu. The guy plays a hard hockey. He's playing for Anaheim. Now he fights anybody. That's what I love about this guy. And you watch the way he fights. He is laser focused. He takes, doesn't take his eyes off his, the person he's fighting. He throws right down the pipe. And he does not play defense. I love the way this guy fights. I don't think people give him his due. He's a tough, tough cat. And I, you know why people don't give him his duke, Tim? It's because of his last name. That's it. He's got a Frenchy last name, Nathan Beaulieu. But he's from Stratford, Ontario, I think. He's, he's an Ontario kid. But he is so incredibly tough. He fights anybody. He's fought all the toughest guys in the league. He's fought Luch. He's fought everybody. So he is my number five. 
in the league so far. My number four, I went back and forth because there's some heavy, heavy weights in this league. There's Ross Johnson, Ryan Reeves, Nick DeLaurier. There's McDermott. There's Lucic. There's Tanner Janot. There's Matthew Olivier. There's Josh Gadovich. There's Zach McEwen, Borowicki. There's a lot of tough, tough guys in this league. My number four right now is a rookie. He's active. He hasn't fought a lot of tough guys, but I like the way he fights. Plays for the Montreal Canadiens. Arbor Jack guy. Is that how you say his last name? It is, yeah. I love the way this kid fights. Again, very poised. He did it. I think he played for the Kingston Frontenacs, I want to say, in the OHL. But he's just a tough, tough character. Hasn't fought a lot of the higher-end guys just yet. Maybe he needs to gain some strength. He's 6'2", 200 pounds. Not the biggest guy in the fight, but he, he he uses his height well. He uses his length well. And the thing that makes him effective is he's aggressive. He goes at his opponent. He doesn't wait. The gloves come off and he's coming at you. He doesn't sit there and square up and wait and wait and wait and wait and wait and wait. And wait. Gloves come off. He's pursuing. He's on the hunt. He's the alpha male. He's going to take you down. And when he gets you, he's throwing. And he's throwing the right way. And I say this a lot, and I mean it. There, there's a way to throw a punch, and there's a way to not throw a punch. The most effective time to throw a punch is when the other guy is punching because they're not playing any defense. Their head is right forward, and that's when they're at their weakest, and that's when you need to take advantage of it. On the other hand of that, you're going to get punched in the face. So you have to, you, you have to know that I'm going to eat one to give one. And that's, that's a hard thing to overcome. So, And he does it. He absolutely does that. I like that. Arbor Jack guy from the Montreal Canadiens. This kid's good. Mark my word. He's going to be one to reckon with in the years coming. He reminds me of a Mark Burrow-Wiki. And Burrow almost, or Borrow, I don't know how you want to call him. He almost made my list. He would be 6'7 for me on this list because he just, he's got the face of a fighter, but he just, he fights anybody. He fights anybody, Tim. I love the way this guy fights. I battled against him in Ottawa. Love what he's doing in Nashville. He fights anybody. He shows up. He gets beat up a lot but he shows up to the fight and he just throws them. Were you going to say something? Well, this, this list is more of your favorite fighters than the no, best no. fighters. No. Uh, and that's the thing. I'm taking bull. You over a lot of guys. I'm taking okay. him over Tanner. Janot, my number three fighter right now. Oh man. I'm going Ryan Reeves. Ryan. It's tough. It's tough for me to say this. I think Revo is, is very, very tough. I don't think he uses his strength effectively. I think he overexerts himself at times. He did it with me. He punched right over the top of me and we both fell down. If he were to be a little more patient, maybe, and a little more measured with his punches, I feel like he would be untouchable. But he's my number three, just because I think, like I said, he he overpunches. A lot of the fights just end up on the ice. And I don't know if that's because people are scared of him and they don't want to get hit by him, but that's my number two. I went back and forth between this. Lucha Delorier. I think these are the two toughest guys in the league. Milan Lucic, Nick DeLaurier. I would take both of these guys on my team. I think Lucic has resurrected his reputation in the last year, year and a half, where he just said, you know what? I'm not going to be in a first, second line guy. Power plays out of the question. I'm just going to fight more. And he's beating everybody up, Tim. Everybody. I love how he just stands in the pocket and throws them. So that's why DeLaurier is my number two fighter and Lucic is my number one fighter. The old dog, the OG he is my number two fighter, all six foot three, 240 pounds of him, compact, massive shoulder pads. His traps are th- touching his ears. 
He punches so effectively. And that he's just so incredibly strong. He's my guy. He's my number one fighter in the NHL right now. I know it's close. I know there's guys who are probably tougher on a, on a good day against Milan Lucic, but night in, night out, this guy, I would take him over anybody else in the league. No, no. What do you think? Good, bad? So I'm going to recap anybody? here. Yeah, Bellew, number five. Number four, Jackye. Number three, Reeve. Number four, Delorier. Number one, Lucic. I don't know how you can have uh, where's Curtis McDermott. He's arguably number one. A lot of people would have him number one. You know, he's not even in your top five. Yeah. No, I, I, activity level is is a reason, and I don't think he's that effective when he fights. And I was the same way. I wasn't. I was more effective than Curtis McDermott. If McDermott starts landing and connecting, then maybe we'll talk. You go watch his fights. He doesn't connect with his punches at all, Tim. So how am I supposed to put him in the top five when he doesn't punch anybody in the face? He misses, he misses, he misses, and then he pushes him down, and the guy falls down, and he cheers. I'm like, that's not a good fighter. I'm sorry. I, I'm i sure the guy's a great guy. I'm sure he knows what he's doing. And then he has this, and I, one of our former guests did this too. He does this move, and I don't know if this is a new thing, where if a guy is locking him out, he'll push his elbow and break his arm and like break the the lock on his arm and he'll roll it over. It's a dumb move. It it, it never, it, the only thing it accomplishes is the guy either falls down or he goes off balance and you're holding him and you go off balance a little bit. So it just doesn't make sense to me what to accomplish unless you're letting go of your left hand as you're pushing his elbow and you're throwing with your left. I don't know. It, no, he's not in my top five, Tim. Neither is Ross Johnson, who is, is a tough, tough man in his own right. 6'5", 230. All of these guys are tough. But in my eyes, top five, pound for pound, because I know Ross Johnson is going to beat up Nathan Beaulieu. I know that. Like, that's, that's a no-brainer. I know Curtis McDermott is going to beat up Arbor Jacki. Maybe, maybe not. But the... I'm just going my top fighters, pound for pound, toughest guys like the boxing do it pound for pound, toughest guy in the world. So who, I don't know. Yeah. I'm stumbling here. Cause, cause, cause I would have thought if you had asked me if I had made a list, it would have been, okay. The obvious ones, top, the best fighters in the league, the toughest guys, Lucci, Delorier, Reeves, McDermott, and figuring out the order and then figuring out who's number five. Maybe it's Ross Johnson, but he's like barely an NHL player right now. He's, he doesn't play a lot. So maybe it's, I, I think the Borowicki is a great pick. I, I know he wasn't in your top five, but he is, he's a great scrapper. So like those are like the Mount Rushmore in my eyes right now of, of the, of the NHL toughness. So I'm yeah, surprised to see uh, McDermott not there. I mean, I understand your point, but I think I do think it's still a little bit of, of a list of your favorite fighters than than the best fighters. Well, you asked me for the top fighters, yeah, and I, I you can't discriminate based on size. You know what I mean? Because that you just throw out a whole group of players. Like I think Tanner Janot is a better fighter than a lot of guys. The guy's a very effective fighter. So I went with the best fighters. Stylistically, just fighting, pure fighting ability. And I think it's Luch. I think it's Delorier. Nicky doesn't play games. He goes in there and he fights. I don't think a lot of these guys do that. And then Revo was number three. He could be number one tomorrow. So I don't know. And then I know Bo Yu is a stranger. I like the way that guy fights. And what I've seen from Arbor Jacki, 
These guys are fighters. They actually go in there and they fight. They don't go in there and try not to get hit. I think that's a difference. There's guys who go expecting to get hit and they want to inflict damage. And there are guys who go in there and say, you know what? I'm going to try not to get hit. And then I'll maybe I'll maybe I'll land a few. That's the difference. I don't think Curtis McDermott goes into a fight expecting to get hit. He goes into a fight not wanting to get hit. When I would, and I don't, I don't want to compare him to me, but we're the same similar height. When I would go into a fight, I wanted to get hit because then I knew that guy was going to be exposing himself. I knew when I fought Matt Karkner, he was going to rip me the first punch right in the face. And he did it every time. But I knew after that I had him because I could get a good grip. And once I had that grip, it was over. And I fought him two, three times. And that's exactly what happened. Every time he came in for the bomb, I ate it. Hit me in the ear. I couldn't hear out of that ear for like two weeks, but I won the fight. So that's the difference. These guys don't want to get hit. My top five, they're going to get hit and they don't care. So I don't know. Say what you want. That's my list. I'm allowed to make it just no. outside. Gadovich, no. Olivier, very good fighters. I like all of them. My worst fighter in the NHL, Austin Watson. <laughs> yeah. Don't know why he's still in the league. No idea why this guy's still in the league. Terrible fighter. Active, yes. Never never wins a fight. Ever. I don't know. I don't know how he still still is in the league. At least I won fights. I didn't get any points, but I won fights. This guy loses every fight. Every single fight. He should not be in the NHL right now. That's all. Who's the guy that you think you love to see fight, but they never do? Like just see what the like like a Victor Hedman because of his size, like what they're capable of. Is there anyone off the top of your mind that you'd love to see drop him? Well, you think of the strong, like an Alex Ovechkin, who's just yeah. absolutely strong, upper body, physical, big, big, hefty people. It's like, what would he do in a fight? Or Mo Sider. You know, guys yeah. like that who are just, you're big, you're strong. What would happen if you just unleashed it and let her rip and just see how it how it went? But we never will. Always never going to fight. Tom Wilson's a tough guy we never talked about, too. He's He's got to be yeah. there. He's not in the top five, though? Well, he's injured. He's he's back now, but he just doesn't fight, you know. So, yeah, he's a good player. I like active guys who fight. He is a good player. All right, Tim. What else? Uh, yeah, a couple quick hits. This news just broke a few minutes ago. Austin Matthews is out of the lineup for a minimum of three weeks due to a knee sprain suffered Wednesday against the Rangers. What does this mean for the team? Nothing. That reaction? Yeah. Well, they're se- they're second in the league right now. They're they're playing great hockey. This doesn't mean much for them. It really, it really puts the brakes on my prediction that he's gonna, you know. <laughs> but now beat you everybody can't be goal for being wrong. You can't. You, no one can say you were wrong because no. You didn't know. He has been uh, playing better of late. And he's been playing yeah. good. Toronto's been clicking on all cylinders. Seven two and one in the last ten. Second in the league, and it's it's honestly nice this year that Boston's kind of taking all the attention away from Toronto. Yeah, they've just been able to go out there, go about their business. They're having a fantastic season. Like great, they're thirty eleven. Their overtime games, not so much. They've lost eight games in overtime. Other than that, they're playing great, great hockey. So Toronto, this. You don't want to see it because he's has great chemistry with those guys and they're playing just lights out, but maybe this might not be a bad thing. Go get three weeks off. As long as he can come back a hundred percent, he needs to find a scoring touch though. He hasn't he found will. it all year. Will he? Yes. It, like when he comes back, it'll be game 60. He's got to find it before the playoffs because he hasn't had that great of a season to date for an Austin Matthews. And they need him scoring in order to, 
win a Stanley Cup. So with him out, uh, Barkov's going to go to the All-Star game in his place, which is, you know, nice for him. Speaking of teams doing really well lately, although it's probably not a good thing, the Blackhawks have won seven out of the last 10 games. And believe it or not, they're still just one or two points, uh, I guess, ahead of, of Columbus, who slipped to the last place team, which shows how bad they were before that. But I don't know what they're thinking. I know the players, you know, they have one job is to perform well, get points, earn a contract, whatever. But... <sighs> The, the best possible thing that can happen to this franchise is getting Connor Bedard and they're hurting their chances right now. Not according to Gary Bettman. He says teams don't tank in this league. Yeah. That's what he said. And he's such a dummy, like so dumb, but All right. yeah. Yeah. He's, they got, they got to lose. They, they need to lose to increase their probability. You get Connor. No brainer. Last thing here. Uh, so Bruins played in Tampa last night. Jack Edwards went down to the locker room to the bolts and apologize to Pat Maroon. Did you see the picture of him? What a clown. Yeah. Maroon, not even looking up. He's tying a skate, not giving Jack Edwards the time of the day. It's not just the picture. The guys, there were a couple of reporters who were within earshot and they said, Maroon's still not happy. He's not really giving him much attention. Jack Edwards just looks like a, he looks like a substitute teacher, like apologizing to the cool kid. He's just like a nerd. And the guy's like, yeah, I don't care. He's just, he's a clown. He's a joke. And I, and if I'm, Pat Maroon, I don't even waste my time. Do exactly what you did. Why? There's no benefit for Pat Maroon. And yes, I know you should forgive people this and that. You don't have to be friends with them. Jack Edwards, you think he's going to change the way he calls the game? No. The guy's just a clown. He always will be. He always has been. So good for Pat Maroon. He probably said, and the pitcher makes it look bad. Pat's tying his skates, you know, Jack's there. He's not looking at him. I'm sure he shook his hand. I'm sure he said, hi. I'm sure he said, no, it's fine. But you don't have to be his best friend. You forgive somebody, but you don't forget. The guy's like carves you a new one for no, no reason whatsoever. I don't know. Jack, I would love to get Jack Edwards on the show. We've asked him. He won't come because he's just an absolute clown. I I try again. Try again. again. Get him on the show. And then it'll just be me berating him for 45 minutes. And him going, oh. what a great interview this is. It's so fantastic. Tim, I'm you have a great friend. personality, John. Yeah, it's yeah. so great. This is, we're going under and over and over and under. I'm like, Jack, you're so incredibly just embarrassing. But anyways, good for Pat Maroon. Good for you, Tim. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We will see you all next week. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Dropping the Gloves with John Scott, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode. 